Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your weekly study group about cosmic witchcraft. I'm not here to teach, just share what I love. I've studied witchcraft like it's my full-time job, and now you don't need to spend as much time and energy to get started. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles. I'm a city girl, spiritual seeker, and start obsessed like I'm Natsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Oh, just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm the one friends that people go to when they want to know whether they can blame a retrograde for their problems, or they can't make sense of their daily tarot card. And now I'm here to be that friend to you too. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and I look forward to connecting with you. Hello, hello. Welcome if you're new here and welcome back if you're not. Happy full moon in Gemini if you're listening to this episode on the release day. I couldn't have planned it more perfectly if I tried. I originally intended for the episodes to come out on Mondays, but I was too ill to record them. So I pushed the release a number of times until I picked Thursdays and it went out on December 1st, bringing us to seven days later, the moon magic episode on a full moon. Neat. Anyway, it's freezing in my bathroom today, so I have decided to chance it with the transport noises, since I do have a professional microphone, and also I have the heating and an air purifier on, so if it picks up white noise, that's why. I'm not going to spend the next hour in Dickens' London, just to sound more like people who have a freaking studio. The only studio I have is the overpriced studio flat that doubles as an office in which I live. I'm working on my bed. Just keeping it real, it's True Brock Girls, but witchy, and the decor is Hakuaki merch. Going back on topic, this week's we're talking about moon magic and lunar living, specifically the benefits of lunar living, the moon phases, what moon phase we were born under, the progressed moon cycle, moon magic, full moon rituals, and how to center, ground, and cast a circle. As always, there will be timestamps in the show notes. One of the simplest ways to live cyclically with the moon is to set intentions for the month ahead at the new moon, then take stock of what's been happening and feel gratitude for it at the full moon, and then walk on any blocks and shadow walk that is applicable on the dark moon. I'm a big fan of the shadow walk part because I'm not really into toxic positivity, 
but I'll talk about that later. I let my probably ADHD brain get ahead of itself again. There are four main moon phases with four more if you want to really walk with the different energies as they move through the cycle. Each of the eight phases lasts about three days, so the main four cover about a week each. Do what's best for you. Even my Lilith in Virgo, uber perfectionist self, tends to walk with just the two energies of waxing and waning. The first we have is the new moon. As the name suggests, this is the start of the cycle. The moon is in conjunction with the sun directly in our line of sight, so it appears completely darkened. It rises at sunrise and sets at sunset, like the sun. It still has the quiet energy of the dark moon, but with the excitement of something about to start. Like when the lights turn off and then on again before a concert starts. What's in Crescent? This is the phase that covers the first movements away from the sun in the moon's orbit. The moon rises between 20 and 50 minutes later each day bringing us to it rising sometime in the morning and setting sometime before midnight. These and the following two phases are when the energy increases towards the climax of the full moon, hence the name Watson. The first quarter or half moon. The moon rises at midday and sets at midnight and looks perfectly split in half from our perspective. It has been about a week since the beginning of the cycle, so we are starting to settle in with our focus for it. If you use lunar living for goal setting, this may be the time when the steam of a new thing begins to wane as the doubts and hardships may come. Hopefully not. The what's in gibbous. In this final phase of the increase in moonlight, the moon rises sometimes in the afternoon and sets sometimes during the night or the early hours of the morning for those of you who go to sleep at reasonable times. Some people, including yours truly, report the start of insomnia and vivid dreams when they do get to sleep, which is rare around the full moon. It's a buzzing energy, like how when you know a band is leading up to their most popular song. Then we have the full moon. She's the climax of the moon cycle, when the moon is fully illuminated from our perspective. It rises at sunset and sets at sunrise, and we can bask in its light all night. It's a high energy time, when the witches come out to celebrate but that's a story for later in this episode. Then, when in Gibbous, the moon begins to grow darker 
rising sometime in the evening and setting sometime after sunrise. Whether by intentionality or nature, we begin to slow down and prepare for the end of the cycle. It's a good time to clean and declutter both literally and figuratively. The third or last quarter or half moon. The moon rises at midnight and sets at midday. From this point in the cycle onwards, the energy is lowering and turning inwards. It's a great time to schedule special self-care that we don't always have time for during our busy month. Then we have the waning crescent, also known as the balsamic moon or dark moon, especially the very end of the cycle right before the new moon. It rises after midnight and sets afternoon. It is the slowest and most inward-looking part of the cycle. We take stock of what just happened and prepare for the next cycle. I've always had a bit more of an affinity with the second half of the lunar cycle. And it turns out there is a cosmic reason why. I was born at 3.45 local time on a Monday with the third quarter moon at 2 degrees 37 of Scorpio in my 12th house Placidus. I'm also a Scorpio rising and Pluto was conjunct with my ascendant while also in the 12th house. If there ever was a birth chart that screams cosmic witch, that be mine. Anyway, if you want to see what phase you were born under, I used the calculator on astrostyle.com, which I will link to in the show notes. Each moon phase is believed to indicate your emotional temperament, and that might be something you want to use for introspection and archetypal work if you're not keen on working with as much stuff as astrology. Then we have the progress moon cycle. I'm probably going to mention it again, but that's another concept that you might want to work with. The progressed birth chart is showing the cosmic evolution of our lives and the way in which we respond to the events that are represented by the planetary transits. Since the moon governs emotions, it shows us an insight in how we are doing on an emotional and intuitive level at the particular stage of life we are in. In this cycle, the moon moves about one degree per day, taking two and a half years to move through a sign and house, and over a decade to cycle the zodiac. You also have the option of just looking at the eight moon phases over that decade if you're not interested in looking at the astrological themes. To no one's surprise, I've had a major relationship breakdown with the person I thought was going to spend the rest of my life with, just as I was in the waning crescent phase in Scorpio transiting my 12th and 1st houses. Now you see why I fall on the agnostic end of the SAS spectrum. It really is spooky. I decided to just roll with it and look forward to my new moon on the 17th of March 2024. 
most witches who don't walk with celestial bodies all the time would mark the full moon in some way. Whether or not you use the moon cycle for manifestation, you can make a gratitude list or ritual. Have their ideas are at our spread, spiritual reading, dancing, which is my favorite one, charging tools or making moon water, or spell crafting. In fact, you can make moon water throughout the cycle. I make detox herbal teas with the dark moon water. I'm going to share the correspondences for moon spells in the next episode on the planets because while not a planet for science, it's a planet for witches. Anyway, the most well-known kind of full moon ritual was popularized by all the documentaries and books of the late 60s and 70s when Wicca had its first big wave and rests on the idea of lunar goddesses and the divine feminine as a counterpart to the solar holidays. It has two parts, drawing down the moon, which is the channeling of the goddess, and the ceremony of cakes and ale, which is both an offering to the goddess and something shared with the coven if you are doing the ritual in one. You don't need to walk with deities to do a full moon ritual, but given the SEO prominence of Llewellyn and big weekend writers like Lisa Chamberlain, when you Google anything about moon magic, I think it's worth mentioning and walking with as a starting point. You don't have to do a full ritual if you don't have a religious component to your craft, but you might want to do it because secular spirituality is still a beneficial thing. In that case, you can focus on connecting with nature or meditation or meditation in nature. The sky's the limit. You can use whatever theme you feel like, but if you want some ideas, the full moons themselves have specific names and themes attached to them each month. And of course, they do happen throughout the zodiac, as we'll talk more about in the astrology episode. I think it's three episodes and then it's out, off the top of my head. The most commonly known names, which are referenced so widely, they are promoted even by the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, are the Native American ones. But there are names across different cultures. I will not read them out to you, but there will be a link to a resource for it in the show notes, so you can look at the one closest to your heritage and see if it's something you want to work with. Now, since we're talking about rituals a lot today, I'm going to teach any new witches the basics of energy work that are the cornerstones of rituals. Centering, grounding, casting a circle. I mentioned last week that they are not a required part of casting a spell. However, especially if you believe in energies other than your own in a literal sense, these are good tools to have in your arsenal for the bigger spells that you feel require more than you can give. I also think that the key to those walking with placebo magic because 
they are gestures you wouldn't do in normal life. And so create that separation that your brain needs to do things differently. If you are out of the broom closet and have space, you can use tools to do it, like in films. I'd love one day to be able to have a literal circle on the floor. However, most people would visualize both parts. I'm bad at visualizing a lot of the time, so I script it, which in this context means that I say what I would visualize like I'm my own omniscient narrator. The key here, either way, is to tap into the feelings. I have seen centering and grounding used as synonymous, although others would say that centering is what you do at the beginning and grounding what you do at the end. Either way, both of these actions involve creating an energetic connection to the earth so that you can receive and release energy to walk your spell. Casting a circle is instead a form of protection of the space where you are working the spell. I'll be talking about protection magic for yourself and your spaces in general later on. A circle is meant to be opened and closed to create a working space for magic or a sacred space for a ritual. The most common way to do it is probably to call upon the element, starting in the east with air, then moving south with fire, west with water and north with the earth. When you close the circle, you thank the elements and release them, starting north and moving anti-clockwise back to east. Depending on how much space you need to cover, excuse me, you can turn around where you are or walk the perimeter of the circle. If you use props, you can have one that represents this specific element or four candles with color correspondences for them or just white because white candles work as a replacement for pretty much anything you need to do with magic. I often use just incense like its mass because all the elements are involved in the making and the usage of incense and the smoke gives it a very obvious visual effect of marking the space. I hold the sensor and turn around, creating a smoke circle in the air around my working space, calling in the elements, either out loud or in my head. Now that you know this, you have the basis on which to build more complicated spells, so I'll see you next time with the Planetary Magic episode. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice and if you really love it, leave a 5 star rating and review which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. 
Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast and you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time!